Hey, hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Today, we are going to be doing a kind of another player ranking exercise, but doing a little bit differently this time. We're going to be talking about players at or under the age of 25, and we're going to name 25 of them. Stephen, is that, that's, that's right, right? Yeah. So, um, so the way we kind of qualified this is players who have not had their, uh, per basketball reference at least, have not had their age 25 season. Uh, just, a, you know, an easy way to kind of keep it consistent there. So, and as you were mentioned, unlike other shows, this isn't necessarily ranking how good these players are now, though that will definitely play into it to some degree, but also like, you know, moving forward, uh, almost like who we would kind of start a team with uh, in terms of who these players are and, and who they project to be. So uh, players who have not yet had their age 25 season. So that's so Steven can't put Marine Johannes first, basically. <laughs> exactly. Um, and also we are not uh, including Sabrina Ionescu for reasons. I mean, it's, it's pretty difficult when you're doing this sort of thing. She only played two and a half professional games last year. Of course she is going to be, she would be on this list very high um, if we were to, if we were to include her, but it's just, I don't think it's very fair to her or the other players because there's just not much going uh, to go for or to go with rather. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it was kind of a, an easy decision for, for both of us. We, we kind of agreed that it would be. Yeah, for the same logic, like we didn't include her for, um, what was it, our, our top guard episode either. Mm-hmm. Um, but really can't wait to see her back on the court uh, for significant minutes. Really uh, looking forward to seeing her play. Now, um, any uh, anything else to set the table with or should we uh, get into this? I guess I'll just go quickly through some players that are, are not eligible, um, players who have just coming off their age 25 season. Uh, so players that you will not hear us mention in these rankings, Brianna Stewart, John Quill Jones, Diamond Shields, Kelsey Plum, uh, Marine Johannes actually, I think just had her age 26 season maybe, uh, and our restricted free agent to be Alicia Gray. So just a couple of kind of notable ones that have just aged out of uh, this kind of player ranking. So, so we're kind of covering ourselves beforehand here. Um, yeah, so that's who we won't be. To- uh, that's who we will not be talking about. Um, now, Stephen, who will we be talking about here? Who's your number one? So, I I still kind of went with a, a little bit of a tiered system, and I I kind of labeled this tier established superstars slash already top ten players. There's two players in this tier, and the number one player on this ranking for me is Nafisa Collier. Okay. Why Nafisa Collier? A lot of it has to do with her versatility. Like she is just an incredibly easy player to kind of maximize the talent around her. You know what I mean? She can, she can play the three at a high level. She can play the four at a high level. She can pretty much play around any type of player. You know, there would never really be the conversation about, is she being maximized next to X? Like uh, perhaps the player uh, also in this tier for me, Asia Wilson uh, has with Liz Cambage, but you know, her, her versatility offensively, you know, she can punish smaller players in the post. She can punish larger players in the post, quite frankly. Uh, you know, she, she doesn't maybe have as much kind of uh, floor spacing or, or at least willingness to kind of take that shot as I would like to see. But, you know, she's nearly uh, outside of, you know, possessing Asia Wilson's, I think, one main strength, which is just, you know, having that kind of takeover offensive mindset, yeah. uh, you know, to really just, you know, when when it's you know, six minutes left in a, in a close game to just kind of demand the ball and, and give you that face-up game possession after possession. Other than that, you know, she has a pretty much infallible game. And so, yeah, I think, you know, this is a, a prospect podcast and she is, I think, largely a finished product in some ways. But 
yeah, she, in my opinion, she was like the third or fourth best player in the league already in, in 2020. Wow, in the league? I would say so. Last that's, year, I mean, I had her fourth, yeah. fourth in MVP. I mean, granted, that was a league that was missing, you know, uh, a considerable amount of top 10 players. But um, at least in, in that version of the WNBA, she was definitely a top five player. No, that's cool. And and Collier, I think, is a kind of an interesting case here when we're talking about players who are, um, you know, young and who would you rather have going forward and taking into account projection as, as we will be in, during this episode because like you said she already is kind of a finished product and that's not to say that she doesn't she can't get better because I mean I think she will still get better but she was just so good when she first came into the league especially on the defensive end and that's not something you typically see from rookies like her game is so fundamentally sound and her basketball IQ is so high those those knocks that you can typically have against young players just weren't there for Nafisa. Yeah, and one other thing I wanted to mention, you know, obviously I, I talked about her kind of um, offensive versatility, but just defensively, she she can pr- pretty much do it all for you. Like she was, uh, obviously she's a, a great wing defender. I think the three or the four are arguably like her natural quote unquote positions, but she was the primarily like primary rim protector for this team in the second half of the season without Sylvia Falls, uh, and with Sylvia Falls, like she would go extended stretches guarding starting point guards if that's what Minnesota needed and and she did that admirably so her ability to do kind of whatever you need and it's not like she's just a versatile player like she's also a a terrifically efficient scorer and one that can give buckets to other very good players you know what I mean so it's it's not just that she can fit in anywhere like she also like does good things on on her own you know okay so and you said you had Asia Wilson second right because I had Asia one and Nafisa two Okay, so um, I, I stated my case for Collier. Uh, please state yours. Okay. Well, my case for Asia Wilson being number one is, it, to me, she has the one thing that none of these other players really had yet, and that is dragging a team to the WNBA Finals. Um, granted, like like you already said, the league was somewhat, uh, I don't want to say watered down, but there are a lot of top players sitting out the season last season, uh, last year. And uh, oh, I, can see last, I can see last year now because it's 2021. Um, a lot of top players sitting out, and we don't know what would have happened otherwise, but Asia Wilson is, I mean, she is just an extremely dominant player already. She gets it done on both ends of the floor, and she has, like I said, she has pretty much willed a team to a very to a high seed and to a finals series. Of course, they got uh, kind of demolished in that final series, but she, like I said, she ha- she's the one player on this list who has really led her team as the number one, as, as they go to on both ends of the court to that, uh, that level. And that's nothing against the piece of color. Like I said, I have her at number two. I, I have to wonder though, how much better Nafisa Collier can get and how much better Asia Wilson can get. Um, I think Asia Wilson's ceiling is a little bit higher than Collier's, but like I said, that's, that's nothing against Collier because I don't want to penalize her for being so good right away. You know, so I think I think Asia Wilson, she's like the biggest superstar of players on this list. However, you want to uh, qualify or quantify that, but I really wouldn't have any trouble putting Collier at number one, either. It's close. Yeah, and it, it, it's a great point that you make in terms of like there's a lot of not a lot of because she's already a great player, but there are some very obvious ways that that Wilson can just become an even better version of, of kind of what she already is. You know, if those face up mid rangers turn into or, or the pick and pop shots turn into the three point shots. If that's what becomes a reliable shot for her, if she just becomes a, a if, you know, just removing that mid range game or, or cutting it back a little bit and, 
getting to the rim even more than she already does, you know, to be able to kind of get to real superstar efficiency, uh, which we haven't really seen from her. I mean, and she, she's a dominant player in her own right, although I think in a different way than Collier. You know, she doesn't have, in my opinion, perimeter defensive skills, obviously, but is, of course, uh, much more of um, a rim protector and, and obviously has the size to really guard, you know, some of the best post players down there. It's interesting, Collier at the four, uh, you know, she is a little bit undersized for, for that position and even playing some fives at, five at times. But yeah, definitely no objection, you know, having Wilson number one on this list. I think uh, the, the big thing for me was just maximizing kind of that, the, the talent that you're able to put around her, like for, for Collier, like there, there's never going to be a fit issue in my opinion right. you know, with, with Nafisa Collier. And, but yeah, like you said, Asia Wilson, like Nafisa Collier isn't doing what Asia Wilson did down the stretch of that Connecticut series where she's just, you know, getting to the line 10 times in the fourth quarter to absolutely just seal that, that game for them when they really needed it. So, so they're, they're different players, obviously in, in a lot of ways, but they're in the same tier for me for a reason. Okay, cool. And then uh, who is in your, your kind of next tier? So this tier I had a hard time with, I had uh, three players. I'm, I'm thinking you probably have a, another player higher than at least some of these players. <laughs> probably. Um, but I, I labeled this tier best player on a good offense. And the number one player I have in this tier is uh, our old friend, Kelsey Mitchell. Okay. You are which, higher on Kelsey Mitchell than I am, which is a surprise. Yeah, it, it seems a little high, but so, so I'll just go through all three players I have in this tier and we can kind of see where we want to go. So the three players I had in this tier, uh, Kelsey Mitchell, Kennedy Carter, and Enrique Ogumbawale. Okay. Uh, were any of those players kind of even in this range for you? Uh, Ogumbawale and Carter were, yes. Okay. Uh, so I guess uh, that leads me to kind of make the, the case for, for Kelsey Mitchell. Yeah, go for it. You know, all the things that we kind of wanted to see from her coming into the 2020 season, she really, uh, she showed us like she, her, her shot diet really improved. She took less mid rangers. She took more versatile threes. She was more willing and aggressive and physical getting into the paint on her drives, which led her to get to the line more, you know, the, the increased versatility on her, uh, jump shot, her pick and roll scoring, uh, greatly improved, even if her assist numbers didn't. So yeah, I, I, I really loved what I saw from her in 2020. You know, the defense is uh, still not good, um, but the defense on, on pretty much up and down that roster is not good. So I'm not going to, you know, just kind of blame that on the shooting guard of all positions. But yeah, she, she opens things up in a way that even if she doesn't have the ball creating for others in the way that the, the two players below her do, um, you know, what she does off the ball as well as on the ball, I think can really, you know, it's, it's very easy for me to see this player being the focal point of a good offense. The focal point. Okay. That's interesting because one of the things that I did not see from Kelsey Mitchell last year that I wanted to was more of creating shots for others. I mean, she is, she is a terrific off ball player and she's really good with the ball in her hands, um, creating shots for herself. I'm not sure I see her as the best player on a good offense, but maybe we're valuing different things. Like obviously her, her off ball gravity is terrific and her ability to create three good three point shots out of basically thin air is fairly unrivaled in the league. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe it's, maybe it's because she played alongside like another point guard and Julie Almond and that her assists were not very, uh, not very high. I, I, I just wanted to see more out of her as far as setting up her teammates. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand that. And, you know, as you mentioned, she did play alongside Alamon, who was definitely a pass first point guard, you know, was not really looking to create anytime she kind of got the ball 
inside. But I saw enough kind of, you know, passes before the assist from Mitchell that um, okay. I think I, I was a little bit too hard on her playmaking, in my opinion, just kind of from where my evaluation was like right at the end of last season and, and kind of diving into it a little bit more for this exercise. I felt a little bit better about her passing, you know, when she really kind of faced uh, like traps or, or hard double, like double teams around the basket or, or something like that. When the help came, you know, I don't think she was really making bad decisions necessarily. Okay. And that's a good point. Cause you know, uh, just because a, a play doesn't result in an assist doesn't mean it wasn't a good, a good play. You know, like you, as long as you move the ball and make a good decision, make a good pass. Like that's, that's still just as good as a pass. that will get you an assist. Right. Sure. So I don't really have too much more to say on Mitchell, but where did you have her before we get into your number three player? I had her seventh actually. Um, and maybe that's a little low. It's, it's kind of off brand for me. Um, the one knock I had on her when looking at it through this lens, um, I'm not sure going forward, you can really build a team around her because of that, you know, creating place for others sort of thing. Oakland Bawale, I think you can build a team around Carter. I think you can build a team around Kelsey Mitchell. I'm not so sure. And that's just because, you know, like, like she's, she takes a lot of shots that are, I don't want to say, mm, because you could have this, you, you could make this critique of a Gunvalu and Carter as well. But I just think, I just think they've shown a lot more at really orchestrating an offense and, and you can play through them and, and build a roster around them. I'm not sure going forward if that will be a thing for Kelsey Mitchell or not. Yeah, that's fair. Is that a fair criticism? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. Uh, so who is number three for you? Okay, so I'm definitely higher in this player than you are, but I had uh, Satu Sabali at number three. I just think I don't need to go too deeply into this because I've already said it a lot of times, but I think Satu Sabali has world-class potential and world-class talents. A little raw last year, as we kind of uh, as we kind of talked about when we were t- uh, going over. We, we talked. We classified her as a big, right? Or was it a wing? It was a wing. I think it was a wing. Yeah. But but that in itself, you know, like what 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 position is she? That could be either a good thing or a bad thing. You're talking about a tweener. And I think for Cyberly, it's a good thing because she, she can excel just about anywhere you're putting her. The three-point shot, she didn't really show it last year, but I think she's a better shooter than, you know, what she showed in the bubble. And just, man, just the combination of length and skill. And she's an ambidextrous player, which I love pointing out. You know, she can make passes with either hand. She can dribble with either hand. She can create with either hand. And for a player of her age, she's a year behind everyone else in the class she's just tremendously skilled for a player of her size and I think she's got incredible potential and if we're looking at players once again through this lens I'm not saying I would take her over like Kennedy Carter or Rika Gumbawala next season but moving forward as a prospect I think I would okay so I had a feeling Sachi Sabu was going to be in this spot for you okay um and I have her sixth I have her in a tier by herself she's she's below these three players but above the the next kind of tier of it's like a mystery box yeah kind of because I, I do think she's a mystery box and and i need a little bit more info and we categorized her as a, a wing you know i don't really think she played that many minutes at small i think she probably played more minutes at center than she did small yeah. forward. um so before i kind of get into what i liked about satu sabali's season one thing i wanted to ask you is like what does sabali like being an effective offensive player at this level look like for you like how do you kind of envision that is it like like what she does for uh, Fenerbahce where she's just like attacking her defender like off the dribble and and just beating her defender one-on-one or do you see her as more you know long-term as like a complimentary player like setting up others on the short pick and roll or in like hitting her spot up shots um, um I think I think I'd lean more towards the first option but that doesn't mean she can't become a 
like a primary ball handler as well. I mean, you've seen, you've seen her like in, in transition and you've seen her making these passes. And I think that is an interesting wrinkle to, to watch for in the future is will they use her? Will the wings use her as more of a ball handler? Because I think she has it in her. For now, I think, I think I made this comparison before I believe, I think she's kind of like a Dewana Bonner type of player um, in that she can use her length and her skill at the position to consistently beat whoever is guarding her, whether it be a smaller player, just over overpowering a smaller player or going past a bigger player. I mean, I think she's just a matchup nightmare. And like your question was like in an ideal world, like realizing her full potential as the best player on the offense or at her, at her ceiling. That's what I see a prime Satu Sabli being just a player who is not really guardable by anybody because of the pure versatility of her offensive game, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so I, I was a little bit lower on her, but can definitely, you know, see myself eating crow on this after the season. Uh, like I mentioned, I had her, her six and, you know, she did not have a good offensive season. As you mentioned, Dallas was not very good offensively when she was out there. Um, it's funny when you look at like her, her true shooting, like 505 true shooting is not terrible. Like it's a little bit below average, um, but it was really buoyed by like being able to get to the line effectively and hitting her yeah. free throws. Like she had just a 404 effective field goal percentage, which like takes away the free throws. So, you know, 19% from three, 46% from two. Um, she was in the sixth percentile as a catch and shoot player, not good. ninth not, percentile not, not, not. as a spot up player and in the 18th percentile attacking off the basket off spot up. So it's not just that like the three point shot wasn't going for her. Um, what I did like from her was when she was, you know, playing or maybe even long-term like playing as the, the big in the pick and roll or, or as the screener in the pick and roll, you know, particularly if the jump shot does come around, you know, she was very effective as a roller, very effective slipping to the basket uh, and, and not so effective popping out for those jumpers. Um, and the passing to me, like, uh, it, it didn't really, having not seen her in college, it really didn't meet my expectations of what I was hearing about her kind of uh, coming into the season. Uh, I didn't really think she made that many great plays as a passer. And, you know, I think her handle just needs to to get a little bit, like, it, it's good. It's It's not like a uh, you know, she's not turning it over all the time, but as someone who kind of wants to like take her defender off the dribble a lot, like I think it, she needs to kind of tighten it up a little bit if she's going to be able to get past good one-on-one defenders like off the dribble, like she tried to pretty frequently. But with that being said, like I think her defensive ceiling, like she she's not very far away from being like a, a Nafisa Collier level defender where she can shut you down on the perimeter and defend the rim pretty effectively. She She's already shown flashes of being able to do that. So I, I'm a little bit worried about the offense, but I mean, still have her above a ton of great players. So, you know, not that worried. Okay. And, and to be clear, like this was, uh, this was probably more, more out of any of my other picks. This was a pick based purely on, on potential on, on what I think will happen. And there's a very, I mean, there's a chance that I'm, I'm going to be wrong about this because there are a lot of really other good players. I'm ranking her above, as you said, um, you had Kelsey Mitchell at number three. I had Sabli at number three. And you had Ogunbowale and Carter next, correct? Yeah, I had Carter at four and Ogunbowale five. And this was something I flipped a couple yeah. times. This was a tough one for me. So did I. Um, so who did you end up having higher? I had Ogunbowale fourth and Carter fifth. Okay. So for, for Carter, for me, I mean, there's, there's really like nothing I can say that really would like justify having her a little bit higher than Ogunbowale outside of, I think she just gets all the way to the rim a little bit easier. Uh, You know, she's obviously, 
she's not the off-ball player that Agumbawale is. Uh, like, I, I think it's harder for the offense to be good when she doesn't have the ball for Carter than it is for Agumbawale, who's shown that she's a pretty good spot-up shooter. Like, we haven't really seen that from Carter. Um, you know, her her college three-point shot kind of came and went. So, uh, for, for Carter, there's definitely, I think, there's a very easy path for her not hitting the level I believe she can get to in the WNBA. You know what I mean? Like if she just continues to have a high long, like high frequency from long two and uh, not really shoot the three ball at all. Um, if she continues to not really be that great of a, a passer uh, at this level. Um, but she's really, she's very capable of creating really good shots for herself and, and getting all to the rim and just beating her defender and forcing help. And uh, I really believe in her ceiling. Can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. The, the, the reason, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why I had Ugunbu Wale hire. One is because um, she's been there before. You know, she, I mean, she led the league in scoring last year. Say what you will about that Wings team and, or about empty statistics or, or, or what have you, but that's not an easy thing to do. And it's also the off-ball stuff. Uh, I think she's a significantly better off-ball player than Carter is. Um, and going forward, because we're projecting here, that is something that I think you need to take into consideration would be the positional versatility. I think like defense is, is kind of not, I'm just not going to talk about the defense for either of these players because I mean, there there's room to get better for both of them for sure. Um, but they both make their, they're both going to be making their money scoring the basketball. I think Carter is going to be a little bit of a better playmaker for others, specifically in the pick and roll. I love her as a pick and roll player, even if the metrics didn't really play out um, in her favor last season as a rookie. I think she's going to be a better pick and roll player moving forward, but a good Wally is going to be the better uh, combo guard. And that can be a somewhat derogatory term in the basketball community, but I think I would rather have a good Wally moving forward barely just because of that positional versatility. And just because she's proven that she can, you know, once again, carry a team with scoring. And I have no doubt that Carter will, will prove that in the future as well, just to be clear. Yeah. And both of these players, I think they are, it, it's good in a way that they are comfortable with and capable of taking and making bad shots, highly contested shots, because sometimes those are the only shots you can, you're yeah. able to get late in the clock. But I do wish that both of these players, and, and maybe this applies to Ogumbawale a little bit more, or, or maybe I have just seen her more because she's played an extra season. You know, it would be nice if they were a little less comfortable settling for those shots when they, when they don't have to. Um, and I think like early in the shot clock. Or early in the, sh- yeah, exactly. Teammates. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I definitely think Agumbawale has shown, I guess, a, a little bit more um, as as a playmaker. But I, I think both of them, you know, kind of leave some opportunity there. And, and Carter, I just expect to kind of, you know, just coming off her rookie season, I expect that to to be there a little bit more. Uh, whereas we've kind of seen two full seasons of it for Arike. But again, she'll be in a, a new situation. We'll, we'll see how in their their new coach handles that like her if she does play off the ball a little bit more because as we both agree I think she can be a a valuable off-ball player you know she she spots up pretty effectively and I don't think she has to have the ball in her hands as much as she does to be effective which you know I'm not sure we can say the same about Kennedy Carter I agree and that's that's ultimately what made the decision for me is having the ball in their hands versus not Uh, but both excellent players obviously moving forward Um, so you had Sabli at six right I did so who who's here for you Okay, um, maybe a little bit of a homer pick here. Um, Azrae Stevens at number six. And this is, once again, um, factoring in potential a lot. Uh, actually, it's not, it's not so much of a homer pick. I'll, I'll back put on that a little bit because uh, I liked her a lot 
heading into the heading into the, the uh, draft in which she was chosen. I, not before she was traded to this guy. I think Ezra Stevens is a in the direction that the game is going, where you want at least one post player to be pretty rangy and to also be pretty versatile on defense. Ezra Stevens is going to be a great fit to, for any team. Um, she kind of falls outside of the tier. You know, the first five players I mentioned are are tier are players I believe you can build a team around. I don't think Ezra Stevens is 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 good enough where you can build a team around her, but I think she can fit in and make a positive impact, a really positive impact on just about any other team. Just because she's so long and she just has so much skill with the basketball, I think maybe her three point shot. I think like her jump shooting in particular was maybe a little bit overrated heading into the season, but there were stretches for the Chicago Sky where an Azuri Stevens spot up play was extremely effective. And I just, I really wish she could have stayed healthy because I, I think she is, I don't want to say the, the missing piece because this guy certainly need more than Azuri Stevens, but um, she really showed right away what kind of an impact a player like her can make on both ends of the floor. And I think she's only going to get better. I mean, I don't know if it is too much to say that she was the missing piece because Chicago was was really, really good before they lost I mean, what, Stevens. What, what, what did Chicago need from her? They needed defense, or at least defensive playmaking. They got that. They needed a, a forward who can hit a jumper. They got that. You know, I mean, it was she, she's a great fit. Uh, and just her combination of two-point efficiency, of three-point efficiency, of defensive playmaking, like Chicago was just a different team when, when they had her available and um, – you know, I, I originally had her ninth. I ended up with her 11th, but it's just because, you know, coming off a foot injury that derailed her second season, followed by a knee injury that popped up, you know, only after playing a season high in minutes. Yeah. It is a little bit concerning. Um, you know, not being able to finish consecutive seasons is a little bit concerning. So I, I love everything that Ezra Stevens brings, but if you're just asking me who, who am I going to take to kind of, you know, quote unquote, start my team or whatever, the injury concerns has me ranking Stevens a little bit lower. So I, I had her number seven um, is, is the start of a new tier in tier four. I actually had her uh, that only has three players and I had her in tier five. Uh, so, you know, cons- significantly lower than you, but I, I definitely love, you know, everything that, that she brings to the table for sure. I do think she is, you know, much more of a, a complimentary player than obviously any of the, the players that we talked about and can, you know, she, she's a great play finisher though, for sure. And from two point or, or from three point range. So if I, I didn't factor in injuries, if, if I did, she would have been lower for sure. I mean, her, it's undeniable. It's really, it's unfortunate, but I mean, you got to think about that when you're moving forward as we are. Right. Yeah, sure. And you know, just from like a, a straight player ranking evaluation, she would, I think definitely would have been higher on this list because she has been very productive. And I mean, I, I loved what, what she brought to Chicago last year, truly mm-hmm. uh, for, for a team that, you know, lacked all the things that she brought from an, either of their or, or any of their other kind of, uh, you know, big position players. Okay. Moving on. Who did you have at number seven? Number seven, I had Ariel Atkins. Okay. Um, I think she was uh, a little bit overtaxed this past season as a creator, you know, 35% of her possessions coming out of pick and roll player and 18% as a spot up player. That's probably too much ball in your hands uh, asking of Ariel Atkins. And I would love to see and imagine that we will see those numbers kind of go back to closer to her first two seasons when, when Washington kind of gets all of their players back, you know, where those rates were, were pretty much flipped, you know, the, the pick and roll numbers were in the teens and the spot up players were in the thirties, but really she should be like your third or maybe even your fourth best offensive player. Yeah. But that being said, like she, she still held up 
from her own numbers, at least, you know, she had a career high in true shooting. She was able to score the ball very efficiently. It's just the creating for others offensively that I think, you know, is never really going to be a strength for Ariel Atkins, but she's one of the most versatile defenders at the wing position. You know, she can guard one through three, I think, extremely well on ball. And we've talked about her off ball defense uh, at length here. So, so I have her here above, you know, some players that have the ball in, in their hands a little bit more, but, you know, similar to kind of what I talked about with Collier, like it's so easy to kind of, you know, you, you don't have to worry about fit with Ariel Atkins because she'll just do whatever you needed to do and guard whoever you needed to guard. No, you don't have to worry about it. I had her at a number eight. Um, I could see number seven, whatever. Uh, for the simple reasoning of <laughs> a legit three and D player is a huge luxury to have. I don't think there are many legitimate three and D players in the WNBA right now. Um, and Atkins has been that since she first stepped foot into the WNBA. That's really commendable. And like you said, you can plug her in anywhere and she will make a huge positive impact in both ends of the floor. And really it, it's, it doesn't get any, I mean, that, that that's simple. Yeah. But I don't think I really need to say anything else than that. Other than that. I mean, as a creator, yeah. I mean, she's got her limitations, but when you're getting into this range of players, when you're talking about that, her strengths, Far, far, far away her weaknesses. So, so she was number eight for you, and then seven yeah. was Mitchell. So we we don't have any players that, um, or like rankings that that we haven't hit on for you. So I'll just go to my number eight player. Uh, I had. I wonder if you think this is um, like above her her head. No pun intended. But uh, Crystal Dangerfield, I have a number eight. Um, no, because I had her at number nine actually. Okay, uh, so we're but, pretty close. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. Uh, explain why Crystal Dangerfield. Well, I think she's she's like a legit good scorer you know I think her distribution for her rookie season there were instances of like passes being left on the table and you know I I wonder whether that's just getting used to the WNBA game or if in that particular uh, area you know her height was a little bit of a debilitating factor you know whether it's just not being able to see over the defense or not having the confidence to make the pass over the defense Um, but I think you know her what she's done like I I I can't help but think that she's going to kind of get there and just find a way to make some of those passes work and be able to kind of, you know, adjust her game accordingly. But she's, she's a, for her, a player of her size, it's amazing how good of a three level scorer she is. You know what I mean? She, she finishes at the rim legitimately well. She spaces way out uh, beyond the arc. Um, As as we talked about, you know, when we kind of covered her at length during the rookie point guard recap uh, show that we did a few weeks back, but um I love what we saw from her in her rookie season, and there's no reason to think she won't get better. Yeah, and that's it's it's very uncommon to see players of her stature lead a team in scoring, let alone a, a rookie. But honestly, that really tells me all I uh, all I need to uh, know about Crystal Dangerfield. Her size obviously is a little bit of a concern moving forward, but there is nothing nothing in her history suggests to me that it's going to be a problem moving forward yes point guards that are like really small typically don't really have very long WNBA shelf lives but there aren't a lot of them cut from the same cloth that that Crystal Dangerfield is which is like you said an immediate three-level score being able to come in and also set up plays for others I also think for Dangerfield you have some offensive versatility there as far as a playmaker she wasn't the best playmaker last year but once again rookie point guards very rarely come in and are flawless with the basketball and I think with Dangerfield, you can run like several different types of offenses with her. You can be a slow team or you can be a fast team. She can run either type of offense for you. 
um, whether it be like a pick and roll heavy offense, motion, whatever. Like she's not, she's not killing you off the ball. If she is playing off the ball for a possession or two, that's, that's not a, a problem because of her floor spacing. And with the ball, I mean, she can, she can make good decisions and she can score from all three levels. So I'm not exactly sure what her ceiling is. This is, this is an interesting player. Um, I was a fan of hers, maybe more than others heading into her rookie season, but she exceeded even my expectations. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what else she's got for us. Yeah. And I think, you know, defensively, you know, maybe, maybe it becomes a problem, you know, when you're in a five game series against the best teams that, that would just kind of hunt the one player they want to go after again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other than that, you know, she, she held, she holds up fine. I think on ball, particularly, you know, against some really good players. So I'm, I'm not all that worried about that, to be honest. And obviously she's surrounded by great defensive talent, which, you know, you shouldn't really consider in this exercise, but uh, so who do you have? Oh, I guess, I guess I'm still a player behind you. So I'll go to my number nine player. Uh, and that is Jordan Canada. Okay. I had Jordan Canada number 10. Uh, talk to us about Jordan Canada. <laughs> well, I mean, I think like she's already like kind of a, a borderline all-star player at this point, right? If she's, you know, Seattle's starting point guard, you know, she's putting up very good assist per game numbers for, for whatever that's worth. She's the type of defensive playmaker that, you know, you can only dream of from the point of attack. She's a, a pretty good help defender. She's a pretty good on-ball, I mean, a, a great on-ball defender. You know, it's it's just that kind of one glaring weakness and it's not just the three-point shooting it's shooting in general right it's not like it's not like she has this great mid-ranger that she can go to she's overall you know 19 for 109 so far in her three seasons from behind the arc and you know the two-point jump shooting is a disaster too 35 percent in 2020 29 percent in 2019 so but even with that being said like she's a terrific finisher at the rim she's a pretty solid free throw shooter and can kind of get to where she wants to get to enough i think to have defenses like react to her and, and draw that contact and be able to get there but even even being like a great finisher at the rim even being a solid free throw shooter and getting to the line pretty frequently she's still a below average player because she just cannot do anything outside of five feet in terms of you know in a, in a half court offense in her own offense at least obviously she's, she's a great passer so you know there's there's not too much to talk about because the the strengths and the weaknesses are so obvious with Canada um, but, you know, one thing that I think kind of for Canada, to her credit, you know, she has shown at least a pretty decent knack for mitigating that spacing issue with with good timely cutting. And because she's such a great finisher inside, that does open things up. You know, if she was just kind of this pass-only point guard with great defensive skills, you know, those cuts wouldn't really mean as much because you wouldn't be worried. But because right. she is so impactful doing that, you know, it, it does create space that isn't there for her just spotting up. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's a concern, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure if that stuff will ever come around, uh, but I think she's shown enough already to kind of warrant being this high on this list. Yeah. So first of all, I agree with basically everything you just said. Um, I had Jordan Canada ranked 10th, which for us, I mean, we're, we're going over 25 players. Um, it's, it's, it's still pretty good. Um, Jordan Canada actually was kind of one of the players I was referring to just a, few, a moment ago when I was talking about short guards who can't really shoot, like not having a long shelf life in the league. I see a lot of Brittany Boyd in Jordan Canada. And what I mean by that is when Brittany Boyd first got into the WNBA, she was a total force creating havoc on defense just with her quick hands and, and being really physical and, and getting a ton of steals. 
and then getting to the rim relentlessly, getting to the free throw line relentlessly. Um, for, for her first few seasons, I mean, that was her calling card. She, she couldn't shoot. She never really showed that much of improvement shooting. And, and the book was out on her pretty quickly. Um, and once she was unable to really, you know, she suffered some unfortunate injuries. And, and that's just the way it goes. Once, once she was unable to force her, her will physically, uh, then the team's kind of, there's not much of a use for her anymore. So I really hope that doesn't happen, that doesn't happen with Jordan Canada. I fear she's on that same path. Um, but she has, she has stayed healthy. Uh, still need to see an improvement in the jump shot. You know, I haven't really seen that. I still think she's kind of out of control sometimes. Um, I don't think she's like the best half court player. When like comparing her to someone like Dangerfield, like I said, you can, you can play slow or fast. Jordan Canada, I think you can just play fast. Um, but she is really good. This is one thing I can say about her. Perhaps more than any other player on this list or, or almost any other player, she's really good at manufacturing offense from defense based on, you know, like really good pick and roll defense and in getting boatloads of steals and turning that into transition offense, which I think uh, shouldn't go, you know, you know, shouldn't be understated. That's probably the main reason I had her as high as I did. I'm kind of disappointed in her lack of year by year growth as a player. Um, Subert's not going to play forever. We say that every year, but she really isn't. So we'll see what happens when Canada, you know, really gets the reins to this team. She's surrounded by a heck of a lot of talent, you know, so she's in a pretty good situation for a player of her archetype. So uh, we'll see what happens. I have her 10th, so it's, it's still pretty good. Yeah, but those are some, some great points that you made. And, you know, particularly with, like, the, the pick-and-roll defense, like, I wonder if she would lose any of her effectiveness as a defensive player if she played in, like, a more conservative system. But, you know, yeah. thankfully Seattle, you know, has maximized their, their talent in that way. Um, so uh, that, was, that was my tier four, uh, and I went to player number nine. I called that a star role players. Emphasis more on star than role, but maybe not so much for, for Canada. This one, I have tier five. Uh, I called it defensive anchors, and it starts off with number 10, Bella Allery. Okay. Yeah, you're a lot higher on, on, on her than I am. Uh, tell us why. Well, I just, I obviously didn't watch her play in college. Anyone that's listened to one episode of the show knows that, that I am not someone that watches a ton of college basketball, and I don't really know what her offensive role was. But this ranking just comes down to kind of what I saw from her defensively in, in Dallas's, like, or in her first season with Dallas, which was very impressive. I thought she showed good, uh, good instincts, good awareness. You know, she, all the things that we'll talk about for a player much lower on this ranking in terms of just kind of not really knowing what to do and not really ever being there when, when she's supposed to be there. I thought Allery was not a perfect defensive player for sure, but just her, her combination of, you know, length at the rim and, and her awareness there. Uh, I think if I'm, you know, going through this list of players and you're saying, okay, I kind of need to, uh, a center that's going to anchor my defense for the next few years. You know, it, it's funny, Dallas went from having no defensive hope from, from the big positions to having, I think, in my opinion, two pretty good players that could, uh, you know, kind of uh, handle that, that duty as sort of the anchor of your defense in Sabley and Allery. So, uh, you know, I think things will come around for Allery offensively. You know, her, her minutes kind of got jerked around a little bit this season. I'm not really sure why she was playing as, as seldomly as she was at, at some times, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high on her defensive ceiling, I would say. And I don't think it'll ever be as bad offensively as it was this year. Uh, I agree on, on, on your last point there. I, I think she's a much more skilled offensive player than we got to see her rookie season. I don't think she's as good as a lot of people were saying coming out of college. Um, but that's, that's, you know, how does, how does Ivy League translate immediately to the WNBA? Maybe she 
maybe she will become this uh this perennial all-star that uh that some folks are projecting her to be i'm i'm just a little lower on her because i didn't really see anything from her, anything from her offensively and i think you're you're higher on her defensively than i am um she blocked a lot of shots which which is good um from your center obviously i i'm i still need to see her defend in space a little bit more i think playing center full time and is she like you, you see her as, as a five moving forward huh yeah, I, I would say she would okay. uh, be a five moving forward. Okay, so in that case, I think I think I need to see more from her offensively, actually. I, I think, like, a stretch five is, is really, really valuable, especially one that, a stretch five that blocks shots. Um, but she was just, like, so uninvolved offensively last year, which was puzzling, puzzling. So I'm, I'm a lot lower on her. She's still on my list, but I, I think there's just a lot of unknowns still with her. Um, yeah, I agree. And just to kind of uh, – off what you were saying like her finishing was was really poor like I thought she you know was yeah. not really prepared for WNBA athleticism you know finishing uh around the basket and and stuff like that she was you know trying to post up players that maybe she she shouldn't be posting up as a rookie but you know defensively you know outside of just the blocking shots I really liked her kind of pick and roll feel too so um yeah I, I this could be one one that I'm you know going to be wrong on and too high on her but um yeah okay um now that you mentioned the finishing, that's that's another thing. I don't think she was that great at it in college either. I think she only shot like 51 or 52% at the rim, which for a, a player of her size is not good. Um, someone can check me on that. I'm, I'm not looking at it right now, but that could also be because she was surrounded with seven people every time she touched the ball. I don't know. But yeah, I, th- I think for me, jury is still out on her. Uh, that was your number 10? That was 10 for me. Okay. Can I go for once? Because <laughs> yeah, you're ahead of me. What What number are we on for you? Uh, we're at 11 for me. Okay, cool. Good. Okay. Um, I have Maria Vadiva at 11. A couple reasons why. She's still, she's still only 22 years old. She's had a significant taste of WNBA action while still, you know, being younger than most of the players on this list, which I think is a, is a pretty good thing when you're, when you're moving forward and you're evaluating. Um, she's maybe not in the best situation for being like a high usage player, but she doesn't have to be because she's big. She's skilled. She's a good finisher. And she's got, I think, pretty good touch for a player of her size. She's not the most athletic. Like she's not the the biggest, you know, she's not the biggest player or the best, the most mobile shot blocking type of center. But um, I think she is a player who, you know, can play inside and out. Maybe not a great three point shooter yet. I mean, she, she's made a few, I, I wouldn't call her like a stretch five yet or anything like that. I just think she is, she's got the potential to be one of the next really good low post players. Um, and I've really come around on her actually, because a, a while ago, um, I think she was maybe thought of, talk, talked of very highly in the international basketball community. And I was, I was kind of scoffing at that because like, she was like 19 years old at the time. And I, I didn't see a lot of her, you know, it was, it was my own ignorance. I think her ceiling is a lot higher than, than I did back then. Um, and I, I really think she could, Maybe not anchor a team, but she could thrive in a role that's much bigger than she's shown, than she's been given so far. So I, I think she, Maria Vidiva is, is a really awesome offensive player. Um, I have her considerably lower. I have her at 22, which, uh, and she, I think she's probably maybe the third youngest player we have on this list, I, I want to say. So definitely, you know, a lot more room to grow in, in kind of what would have been her her third WNBA season that had just passed. But I think for me, it just, 
I, I have a hard time seeing what the defensive ceiling is for Maria Vadiva. I think the the ideal role for Vadiva is, you know, just to kind of come off the bench and just absolutely put in work against backups because she is such a skilled offensive player and she is uh, rated very highly in, in some of the, the synergy statistics over her career. You know, she's, I think, a very effective post-up player, a very effective pick-and-roll player. Um, but for me, I, I'm not sure if the if the defense is going to be there to be like a starting level center necessarily. Well, I mean, that, that, that is what we've seen from her so far is a lot of feasting against backups. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think that is kind of the, the perfect role for her. And I, I just think in terms of where she falls in this rankings, like I, I value for like a starting center, I do value defense a little bit more than offense, you know, because you do have to kind of be the anchor there. Um, and, and kind of erase a lot of mistakes. So, you know, I think she is like, you know, better at basketball than like Bree Turner say, but, but Turner, I think has the, the ceiling defensively to, to kind of anchor a good defense. She didn't do it uh, last season and she should not have gotten an all defense team, but she does <laughs> have the ceiling at least to kind of get there. And, and she has those skill sets. So, so, you know, even though I think Badiva is better at doing basketball things and, you know, with the basketball in her hands and stuff like that. She's a more skilled player uh, in a lot of ways. You know, I, I just have her lower on this list be, because of the, the defensive ceiling. I'm not sure wh- where it falls, really. Okay, that makes me wonder where you have Turner and where you have uh, Tierra McCowan, but we'll find out shortly. Uh, that was my rank 11 player. Who'd you have at 11? Uh, 11 was uh, Azra Stevens for me. So who Okay, right, right, right. We uh, talked about that. 12 uh, for you. For me, um, okay, I had Asia Durr. And this is kind of taking a stab in the dark here because, I mean, recent history hasn't been too kind to her. She uh, didn't really get a lot of burn on a very bad Liberty team a couple of years ago, which we've already talked about this. Um, not really sure what the minutes distribution was 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 like there, but and then she got injured. You know, she wasn't really healthy most of that season, and then of course last season sat out after recovering from COVID nineteen. I think she is. Hmm, Asia Durr maybe is not a primary playmaker like Ogunbowale, like Carter, um, like Dangerfield, like Canada maybe, but I think she's she's got the potential to be one of the best secondary playmakers in the league. And she's also just a really, really good shooter from pretty much anywhere on the court. Um, and that to me, that's that's a valuable thing. You know, maybe she's not a starting caliber level player. Like I think next next season, if they're able to get um if they're able to get uh, Marino Hannes over, I think she should be starting next to UNESCO. But that's also because I think Asia Durr can be a really good six-woman type of player. She's not very explosive, but she's got a tremendous amount of skill with the basketball. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, she can she's, – uh, she's the ideal combo guard for me coming off the bench. There's still a lot we haven't really seen from her. Um, college pedigree, like she's very highly decorated collegiate player. I haven't really gotten to see that much. But based on, like I said, potential and what I hope – she'll be able to become I think she's like 12 through 15th somewhere on this list I had her at 12 did you even have her on your list I did so um it's it's funny that you mentioned her right after Maria Vadiva I have Asia Durr 17 uh, I had Vadiva 22 uh, I have Durr as the first player in a tier I called it's tier seven valuable specialists slash high-end bench players and in my notes for Maria Vadiva I said maybe the big version of Asia Durr where she can okay. just come in and you know just be a dominant bench player like I think Asia Durr 
I think her ideal role is like just being a really good sixth woman, like being coming in, being a force in transition, like scoring out of the pick and roll against backup units. Um, you seem pretty confident that, that her three-point shot will come around. I know it wasn't particularly good her rookie year, but that's something that, that you've got some, some faith in, you know, long-term. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she's, she's a much better shooter than what she's Okay. That, that's, um, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. There's obviously not a, a ton of, to kind of go off of, you know, with just kind of her not getting as many minutes, you know, uh, you know, we talked about this at length, how um, the, the veteran guards on that terrible Liberty team play too much. Uh, but, you know, 50, 55% shooting on two pointers for kind of a smaller guard in her rookie season is like extremely encouraging. She was in the 100th percentile finishing around the rim uh in in the half court so yeah i i i'm not sure what her kind of long-term role is as a starter and she's not i agree with you that if the liberty have everybody she should be kind of the sixth uh sixth woman you know the the kind of primary backup guard that that can play alongside both marine and sabrina uh i'd like to say so you know a little bit higher on you but there's uh not a lot to go off of i would say in, in terms of just evaluating her WNBA career two sure. years in Sure, sure. Okay, um, we're already kind of running kind of long here. Do you want to kind of speed things up a little bit? Uh, sure. So 12, I had Bree Turner, and then 13, filling out this tier, I had Lauren Cox, another player that, you know, there's not a lot to go off of. Uh, so this, this four-player tier for me, 10 through 13, was Allery, Stevens, Turner, and Cox. Okay, um, so you, you really do value defense from, from your Polish players. I, that's, that's a theme. Uh, one question: What makes you so sure that Cox's defense is going to translate? Well, I didn't think she was that great defensively last year. I mean, I didn't think she was that great defensively, but I did think she was better than all of their other options already. Like there were some wow. times where she got like really lost defensively, but I thought uh, when she kind of knew what was happening, she, her skills looked pretty good. Her, I guess, instincts or or just kind of her 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 technique, I guess, in in the the pick and roll, I thought was okay. You know, she her offensive season was like kind of very bad, but she was also, you know, if, if you just kind of look at the offensive numbers without the context of knowing that her season began late, you know, due to like a COVID diagnosis, I think you, you'd be a little bit more troubled probably than, than having that, that context. But I, I thought her, she showed enough defensive tools to me to kind of uh, be able to long-term fit into either the four or the five. And I think she'll probably be better off as a five. So it'll see, it'll be interesting to kind of see how they prioritize the talent that they already have here. But uh, yeah, I didn't think that she was great, but she showed enough tools to kind of once, once she, you know, has, let's say a training camp maybe to uh, kind of understand the game a little bit better. Um, pretty high on, on kind of what it could turn into. Okay. That's fair. I'm, I was, I was pretty low on her. I was kind of disappointed to be honest, but with the context that, yeah, I mean, she was recovering and, and I believe she was dealing with like a nagging ankle injury or leg injury or something like that uh, throughout most of the season. So she just didn't look too mobile to me. I, I don't think that's, ever going to be one of her strengths, but, you know, I, I think that will kind of bind her to the five, but yeah, I, I could see her become a, a decent defender at least. Um, I, I guess I was kind of the opposite for you because I had Maisha Hines Allen at number 13. Um, and that's basically because she can score the heck out of the basketball. And if she is in kind of maybe, a, I don't want to say a diminished role, but you know, if, if you're able to bring her off the bench and she can really cook against bench units, like playing the five, I don't think is going to work for her full time, at least not defensively, but offensively. I mean, she can fit in with just about whatever you want to do on offense, both spotting up and pick and roll. It's, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next year with her free agency, because she did 
not a, not a lot in a, in a low usage role for several seasons. And then she comes in and she was basically given this starting position and she just came out and killed it. So where did you have her, by the way? Uh, I had her 14. It, it was in oh. a separate tier. She was on the, the first player in my next tier. Yeah, for me, it, it is, you know, the theme, I guess, of kind of these last picks that I made where it, it's hard for me to see where she fits into a great defense. You know, she's obviously better, you know, today, right now, than at least a couple of the players that I named above her, you know, Lauren Cox, Bella Allery. You know, if you're trying to win a WNBA game right now, you'd obviously rather have Heinz Allen. She's more accomplished in the league probably than, than Azra Stevens. Like, I don't think Stevens is ever going to score 17 points per game or whatever like Heinz Allen did. But, you know, just in terms of like fitting – Fitting into a championship roster, like, yeah, Heinz Allen, she scored. She scored pretty efficiently. Um, but what, what you're kind of looking for from that position, you know, I, I'm not sure she really brings as, as much of that as you might think she does. Uh, particularly, you know, it's just weird how seldomly a player of her athleticism and of her build, like how she never gets to the line at all. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, just defensively, I, I don't think she's any great shakes there. Um, and I, you know, she's kind of uh, without a position, I think defensively a little bit too. So, uh, you know, still only, only one spot below where you had her, but, um, you know, maybe she can be fourth, fifth or, or the sixth player on like a really good team. Okay. Um, you had her 14th, right. And, and how far did you kind of go here? I didn't, I didn't break mine into tears, by the way. Oh, that's okay. So, um, I mean, I, I went down to, to 25. No, I mean, I mean, in your, in your, in your tier. Oh, so so the, she was the first player in this tier, and then I have two other players. Uh, I'll go just go through them quickly. 15, I had Kia Nurse, and 16, I had Julie Alamon. Okay. Um, we're, kind of, we're kind of on track there. I had, I had Alamon at 15 and, and Nurse at 16. Um, Nurse in particular, like, she was really disappointing last year, um, but that team was really, really, really bad, and I think she was kind of miscast. Moving forward as a player who can, in theory, shoot the three ball, I mean, she's had some stretches in her career where she's looked like a great shooter, and she's also had some stretches where she can't hit anything. And last year was mostly she can't hit anything. Um, but she's really, really good at getting the free throw line, and she's pretty big and pretty good defensively on the wing. And those are two really good skills to have in a player. Um, complimentary player, of course, but still a player, still a rotation player. Um, so I hit her at 16. Almond, 15. Uh, pretty much all offense. Not a lot of defense, but the offense is – it can be spectacular, you know, both with and without the basketball. And that's basically just totally buoying her. Like this is the, this is the ultimate, you know, I don't want to say one way player, but you get where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I think her defense is bad, but I don't think it's like Skylar Diggins Smith bad in my No, no. Well, Um, that's, that's, that's an extreme case, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) Who who did you have at 14, by the way? I had Gabby Williams. And this was, maybe this is kind of a player who I just really, really want to believe in as a Sky fan. She's shown flashes. She's shown flashes. And I, and I, I get after a few seasons, that's not really what you want to hear. Um, but the, her build and her – she's really got a unique when – you, when you think about a player who doesn't really – who's not really a threat to score with a jump shot, you think of a player who's like, okay, well, she's not really that athletic. She's not that athletic or she's, you know, mostly a high IQ player who – you know, all the, all the coded language, right? Well – Gabby Williams is a really athletic player and she's got this incredible touch for passing. You know, she's a, she's a very unique player, I think, in her, in her archetype. Yes, you can say like, oh, well, I wish she could hit the three and I wish she could become a better jump shooter or a more consistent finisher, if you will. But um, 
the potential once again, in, especially in transition, is just tantalizing. It's for me, it's the difference between her being like in the middle of this of this ranking and her being at the top of this ranking would be what is her position in well, a positive can, way. Can I jump in? You know, we, we ran a poll a couple of weeks ago kind of asking what the what the best position for Gabby Williams is. Is she a point guard? Is she a wing? Is she a small ball four? Do you think she's best suited just being slotted into a position or is she being used correctly right now, you know, kind of doing a little bit of all those things and, and kind of being able to play with whatever lineup she needs to play with? I mean, like ideally you could say like, oh, positionless, you know, we're playing positionless basketball. But when you have a, when you have a roster that doesn't really have much positional versatility, I mean, it's, it's tough to do that. Um, I think she is a point guard in transition and a wing in the half court. Did I kind of maneuver on that question? Okay. Yeah. Not like that. Okay. Because I don't think like we saw her playing point guard, her, her second season, it did not go very well. She didn't like it. It just wasn't a good fit for her. I don't think. And that maybe that was a necessary experiment for the coaching staff to kind of take with her. Also the roster, this guy didn't really have a serviceable, serviceable backup point guard at the time. So that was kind of necessity as well. But, you know, I mean, with the passing ability and the, the vision and the height, you know, I mean, she's like 5'11", 6 feet, something around there. So having a tall player who can see the floor well like she can at point guard is valuable. But, I mean, just the lack of uh, consistent, like, jump shooting, I think really did her in as, as far as a point guard is concerned. Um, but as a wing, like as a secondary creator or as a player who can, you know, um, move without the basketball well, who can make well-timed cuts, I just think there's still a ton of potential there waiting to be unlocked. And that's why I have her as high as I do. Where did you have her? Because I, I think this is a player who is – I did not have her ranked. You did not have her ranked. Yeah, I, I understand. I totally get it. I didn't it's really polarizing. kind of strongly consider her to be ranked. You know, there were, I had, uh, let's see, I had five players I was kind of considering for my last spot here, and she, she was not one of them, to be, to be honest with you. So, okay. um, I don't know. I, I, it feels like she's a, a bit of a finished product and that we kind of know what she is. Hopefully, I'm wrong and some some improvement comes, uh, but she, you know, she's a valuable WNBA player for sure. But just in terms of like, you know, I don't think she comes with a, a ton of upside uh, and, you know, she obviously has some pretty glaring holes and, you know, can be tough to fit into some lineups for sure. But so that brings us through 16 overall. Yes. You want to just kind of go in, I guess in, in batches out, you can go like 17 through 20 and we can see if anything sticks out. Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. Okay. So 17, I had Brianna Turner. 18, I had Jackie Young. 19, I had Brianna Jones. And 20, I had Bella Allery. Okay. This this group for me, 17 was Durr. 18 was Carlton. 19 was Tierra McCowan. And 20 was Marina Mabry. And I think there's something I wanted to talk about specifically. I have Bree Jones on my list of 25, but I, I can't really talk about how much I value upside and like put Bree Jones above Tierra McCowan because like what Tierra McCowan does, like she's really good at what she does well. And even if like 2020 was a complete disaster in terms of improving her weaknesses, there's no denying kind of what the ceiling is for her. So yeah, like if you're just, if you're just taking kind of like uh, upside, you know, her, her upside compared to Bree Jones's upside, who I just have, you know, two spots below her, but it was one of those things where like I had Jones above her initially. And then I was like, I'm going to be talking about upside this entire podcast. Like I I can't really like, it would be very hypocritical of me to have Bree Jones, who I think is largely kind of a finished product. um, Even though 
you know, she had a, a career best season, but it's hard to imagine, you know, her shooting, you know, 62% from the floor or whatever it was again, uh, and having as good of a defensive season as, as she has. Like, I think she can replicate that, but it's hard to see her taking another step even above that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, maybe the following is one thing where, where you could see it. But so, yeah, that that was kind of why I had McCowan a couple of spots higher than, than Jones specifically. That's very fair. Uh, you're higher on Tier McCowan than I am, um, which I'm kind of surprised at. She did make my list, but I get the potential thing. I'm just not convinced that she'll ever reach it. Um, and I know that sounds very, very negative, but like – when you, what are, like her main weaknesses are what like foot speed, lack of coordination, lack of mechanics. Those were all problems for her in college as well. So I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I mean the potential, like the, the awareness, like you know what I mean, like just not really kind of understanding the play that's that's unfolding in front of her and, and even making an effort to get to the right spot. You I, know? Because there are slow-footed players that have shown more defensively than Tierra right. McCowan has. Exactly, and that's that's a worry I had about her coming into the clinic because she just hadn't shown that in college either. And that's, that's a problem. I'm just not sure how on a winning basketball team or a basketball team that doesn't rank dead last in defense, how many minutes is she going to be playing? That's my main concern with Tierra McCown. Maybe, you know, she gets a really, really good front court coach and um, she, and those weaknesses become, you know, at least maskable. And and she's, she's able to, you know, protect the paint, like, like folks think she can and, and continue getting these passes and, you know, drawing fouls at an elite rate. Fine. I get that. And, and, you know, I've, and I agree with you on the whole potential thing. A lot of these picks are based purely on potential and for me to have Tierra McCowan at 22, which I have read is might be kind of weird, but it's, it's kind of an extreme case. I'm just not sure if she'll ever, or maybe I'm not sure what her potential actually is. It, it like, can she really become like an elite defender? Like, I don't, I don't think so, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened. Yeah. I mean, maybe it just, tops out at her being like an elite offensive player off the bench you know what I mean yeah. Where she just pulls down a ton ton of rebounds gets to the fall on a ton when she's on the floor and and it never really turns over for her to be a, a two-way center I can totally and even, see that happening. even if you put it that way I mean like yeah okay I guess I guess I'm kind of low on her for that because that's those are two very valuable things so we'll uh, see so to finish out my list I have uh 21 Bree Jones 22 Maria Vadiva as we mentioned 23 I have Ezzy Magbagor uh 24 Jackie Young and 25. Uh, this was the one that I mentioned. I was considering quite a few options. I ended up going with Kennedy Burke. Okay. Uh, I had Magwiger at 21, McCowan at 22, Lauren Cox at 23, Makia Herbert Harrigan at 24, uh, maybe kind of reaching there, uh, and Mercedes Russell at 25. I had Mercedes Russell at 25 at one point. Didn't really realize how poor of an offensive season she had last year. But I also did consider Herbert Harrigan for this last spot. But uh, was there anything that, that you wanted to say about Herbert Harrigan? Well, for Herbert Harrigan, for me, and this was one I didn't really have. Like, she didn't play that much last season. Um, I thought she was kind of a reach when they picked her at number six. But I can see it. I can see it now because she is slowly turning into a stretch four. Valuable thing to have. And she's, all, she's also got the potential to be a pretty good help side defender, particularly in blocking shots also a pretty valuable thing to have. The reason I don't have her ranked higher is because she's not really that good of a rebounder and she like, she never really has been, but like when you're, you're kind of splitting here, you're, you're, you're kind of weighing strengths versus weaknesses when you get to this point in, in such an exercise. So I think she's got two tools that are going to be very valuable to have for a bench big. I'm not sure if she'll ever be a starting caliber player, but she'll definitely be a rotation player. I think. 
and you didn't, you were considering her, but you didn't have her in there. Yeah. So the five players I had for this last spot were Burke, who I went with, Liana Odom, who I was kind of deciding up in the last second whether it was going to be her or Burke, uh, Ty Harris, Herbert Harrigan, and Mercedes Russell. And for Harrigan, Herbert Harrigan, you know, she she made forty percent of her shots from three. She took over forty percent of her shots from three. So. Pretty good volume, pretty good efficiency. Still only had a 464 true shooting because she shot 16 for 49 from two-point range and got to the free throw line seven times all season. Uh, she was Her finishing around the rim was, was really bad. Um, and, you know, to me, I, I was – it caught my attention how little faith Cheryl Reeve had in her. You know, she played over 15 minutes four times and under 10 minutes nine times. So, you know – Reeve had, had made some comments before the season about how she wasn't ready. And, mm-hmm. and it wasn't something where, you know, she was consistently playing a ton of minutes towards the end of the season either. You know, it was kind of just uh, a, a little bit more random than that. So, you know, the tools are definitely there in terms of, you know, being a, a post player who can make threes and, and block shots and stuff like that. But I, I didn't really love what I, I saw from her, but again, she, her minutes were kind of jerked around a little bit. So, you know, maybe she she does make a huge leap, but definitely I think it's interesting how the links their, their draft strategy. Like they they got the the really toolsy player who doesn't play a lot at number six, and then at sixteen they get this player who comes in and, and wins rookie of the year and can do basically everything already. So that's Shelby was pretty good at her job, I would say. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you: Did you consider any of like the Liberty wings for for any of these spots? You know, Odom, Willoughby, uh, Megan Walker, Jasmine Jones, like any of those players. Really? No, I did not. Okay. Um, Odom, I think, is gonna is a player who is – how do I put this? I think she's a very toolsy player who's never going to excel at any one thing, and that might seem kind of harsh. But, like, again, last year's team was just so bad. And I, I like her skill set, but I'm just not sure where she's going to fit on a good team. I, I think Richard, Richard Cohen, the WNBA alien, he, he put it uh, – he talked about this. Was he talking about? I think he was talking about Autumn when he said she, she she's a player who's who looks like she's going to get cut a lot of times, and I think I think he meant that in like a positive way because like well you know she's she's good enough to be you know to have the potential the ceiling or whatever the athletic tools but not good enough to make a lot of good teams. Um, but I mean I, I could see like how you could at least have her on the list. Um, yeah, for for me like what she sh- was able to show in the transition game and I think her defensive ceiling you know I don't think she was a good defensive player but. Um, she did kind of show you some some one through four stuff at least uh, in terms of her her athleticism and her her length and stuff like that. So um, she she was given some tough assignments and did okay with with some of them. So uh, yeah, I understand why she um, maybe is not long for uh, a roster with with kind of um, the uh, short uh, availability of, of roster spots and. Um, but I thought, you know, her, her ability to kind of get out in transition, she had some, some really great games from the field, boasted largely just from finishing inside and, and getting out in transition. Um, so I, I considered her more so than, you know, Willoughby or, or Walker or any of those players. Okay, I actually had – the one I, I would consider as would be Willoughby. Um, but she seems kind of like uh, – I don't want to say one-dimensional, but – if she doesn't have the basketball in her hands, I'm not sure what she's doing for you. Um, I think she's a good enough shooter to space the floor, but I, I don't know. Like, like this is New York was so weird last year because I, I felt like Willoughby kind of deserved more minutes than she got, 
Whereas a player like Jasmine Jones, who I think is kind of overrated, really got free reign to do whatever. And um, she gave him a lot and she took away a lot. Sure. I, she's just kind of pretty volatile for me to be including her on this list. New York is such a strange case because they were so bad and they had so many young players like they kind of had to have on their roster. Whereas next year, I think you're going to see, you know, when UNESCO comes back and they have the number one pick again, and maybe they make a, a, a splash or two in free agency, who knows? Dirk comes back, maybe Johannes comes over. I mean, you could be looking at like six or seven new players on this roster. And a lot of these players like won't be there. I think Jones will be there because like, I mean, she, she made the all rookie team. Um, maybe, maybe uh, I wouldn't have been my, my final choice for that, but I digress. I think she'll stick because of what she did last year, as far as volume is concerned. I'm, I don't think Odom will be on the team next year. Walker. I mean, eh, that's cutting it close. Will be, I don't know. Didn't really show much in limited time. So we'll see. It's, it's a very interesting case. It's a very interesting case. A lot of young players, but you know, What's their, what's their ceiling? I, I don't know. One thing I wanted to ask you, Stephen, um, Kennedy Burke. I really like Kennedy Burke. I couldn't put her on this list because the offense, I mean, I, just, I don't know. Yeah, no. You, you I really love her defense that much then. I mean, to me, it was, it was just kind of like an upside play. Like, I think there's, there's a very likely case that, let's say, Ty Harris ends up being a better WNBA player than Kennedy Burke, but I, I don't really think that she brings one, the kind of like a positional scarcity value that the Kennedy Burke as like, you know, a, a potent, like a wing or a small ball four um, brings with her. And, you know, Ty Harris, I think is going to be like a, a solid, but unspectacular player where yeah. Burke, I, I think can just, she has a, a little bit higher of a ceiling as a complimentary player in terms of like, if the shooting stays kind of, you know, more so where it was her rookie season and then kind of coming back down to earth this year it's not something I'm very optimistic about but you know we're talking about the last player on this list here so I think she was ranked above you know some some players who are probably you know already you know better players than her players we we didn't mention you know Natisha Heideman like Ruthie Hebert players you could argue were already more successful but you know what what she brings defensively I think can be valuable even if it's not very consistently valuable right now and then you know, if the jump shot turns out to be for real, which which I have my doubts about, uh, I think that makes for a very valuable player. You know, I, what I could see happening is is Burke, you know, making one and a half threes per game for like a stretch of like six or seven games. Everyone being like, oh my God, like Kennedy Burke is so awesome. Like how did Dallas let this player go? And then like she misses like her next dozen threes. And everyone's like, oh, why is Kennedy Burke in this rush? Like her defense isn't, isn't good enough to justify this. So I, she strikes me as a player who's like a three and D without so much of the three, but... I mean, we'll see. Uh, she's definitely got the frame. She's definitely got the tools to be a, a valuable WMA player. And, you know, speaking to players who – I think it's a good point you bring up players who could be on this list right now. I wanted to put Carlton and Mabry on the list right now because they did come in last year and they made a pretty good impact on their respective teams. But moving forward, I'm not sure how sustainable that is when all these players, you know, kind of even out and get all their reps in and, and, and develop along their respective paths. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I could – I don't have any legitimate gripes against them beyond that. Is there uh, any player who like any other one who like you really wanted to put on there, but not really, but you like, you just couldn't. Harris was one Harris and Odom. I I would say were the, the two. And then I, I mentioned that I had Russell on this list as my last player and kind of just, I mean, it, it's amazing. Like how, how do you shoot with this 
team like 40 percent from from two yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um but i do think you know she she brings some good stuff for you defensively but for for mercedes russell you know talking about like upside i don't really think there's like this huge ceiling for for her to kind of uh, jump to you know she she kind of to me strikes me as a little bit of a finished product not that i think she's going to shoot 40 percent from two every season but just you know the highs that you've seen from her are, are going to kind of remain pretty consistent I, I think she's very serviceable you know she's she's a, a good player to have on your roster okay yeah i, I agree with that and that's that's why i had her as the last player in because it's like well i mean she's serviceable and she's doesn't really she's not really bad at anything so it's like and she has she's had experience being a full time like a starting WMB center already. So good thing to have. And when you're at 25 and a list of players, you gotta cut some slack somewhere. So I think that's gonna do it for us. We'd love to hear your feedback on this. Uh because you know, Steven and I we value different things, obviously, when evaluating players. And I'm sure those of you listening out there value different things than we do. So if you'd like yeah. to give us some feedback, um, at Double Down WNBA on Twitter or at Nemchak E at Trinkwald, our personal accounts. We're on Google Play. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. If you want to give us a subscribe, a rating, a nice review, that'd be lovely. Uh, other than that, um, thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, this is the Double Down WNBA podcast signing off. Please stay safe and stay healthy. We will catch you next time.